You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. It's a great lead into the message this morning because, you know, who else you could ask is you could ask Abraham and Sarah if God can do impossible things because... We're going to look at an impossible thing that he did in their lives this morning. Genesis 21, as you find it, let's stand together. Genesis 21, and uh, we'll read about another impossible task that no one thought could happen, and yet here it is finally. You know, it's significant, this morning's message, because we're finally to the point uh, where Abraham and Sarah see the birth of their son, and they've been waiting for this moment for about 30 years. I mean, way back in Genesis chapter 12, God came to Abraham and, and made Abraham at that time and made promises that, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through, through Abraham. He would have a nation come from him. But in order to do that, you have to have a son. You have to have a child. And here's Abraham and Sarah, just childless and uh, waiting for God's promise. And they had so many moments of discouragement, so many ups and downs. So many moments of, of doubt and failures that they, when they tried to get ahead of God and, and we're finally to the place where we see this come to pass. You know, uh, we started this, uh, this uh, series in Genesis a while back, but we've been talking about Abraham on Sunday morning since January. It's a long time. It feels long, probably. But can you imagine if it was real time? 30 years waiting for a son And I thought about tackling the whole chapter here, and yet I don't want to skim this part because this is significant, not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for the whole nation of Israel. And the whole nation of Israel, remember, they're the first audience reading this book, and this meant everything to them, that God would keep his promise and have a son born to Abraham because he keeps his promises, and I'm thankful for that. Let's look at the first seven verses. Genesis 21, it says in verse 1, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. I love that. The Lord and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac being eight days old as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck for I have borne him a son in his old age. Just ask Sarah if God can do impossible things. Just ask Abraham if God can intervene and do something miraculous. And they would tell you this, yes, he can. You know, this morning's focus uh, will be on what I'm calling new birthmarks. And this passage, although it's about Isaac, there's a comparison between what happens to us at new birth. And there are some comparisons here that I don't want to miss this morning. This will be very simple today. But I want it to be a help to us because 
Every one of us must come to a place in our lives that we experience new birth if we hope to have a relationship with God and if we hope to spend eternity in heaven. If you want to spend eternity in heaven with God, you must have a new birth. And there are some marks of the new birth I want to look at, what it means to have new life, new birth marks, whatever you want, however you want to say it. I hope it will be a help to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that you'd help me to convey it clearly. I pray that you'd just open our minds, help each person here to be attentive and in tune so as to not miss the message that the Holy Spirit wants to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, there are a few more occasions more exciting than the birth of a new baby. And there's just something, you know, if you're not a baby person, you may not get this at all, okay? But most people are, are to some degree baby people, meaning you'll hold, him, hold the baby for a few minutes and enjoy it. But, you know, when it's time to go home with mom, you're fine with that too. So, but, you know, there's really few things more, more joyous than a new baby. When, I remember... When our, when, our child, when our first baby was on the way, Olivia was on the way, and, and I'm telling you, there's no nine-month period in my life that felt longer than those nine months. And I didn't make it easier because I was anticipating it all, and you know, I was reading what to expect when you're expecting more than my wife was, and I was just excited about this new baby. I was so excited. We, we're getting to the, to the due date, and, and we go past the due date, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I cannot wait anymore. So I took my wife. We went to the local lake, and there's a three-mile running track around the lake. And, I, and we, at a very quick pace, we went around that whole three miles on the due date of our child. And still, Olivia decided to, uh, to wait to come, and we ended up having a, an emergency C-section because of it. There were some issues there. Um, and it's interesting, we pegged her personality uh, early because she's still the last one out the door. Um, her face is red. It's a sunburn, okay? You know, I, I'm just telling you, there was nothing like holding that baby. That first baby, I just, I held her and I just enjoyed it. And every one of our children have been like that. You just... You can't wait, and you wait, and you wait, and it seems like it'll never come, and, and yet I'm only talking about a matter of months. Can you imagine 30 years? Can you imagine 30 years before this, God coming to Abraham and making a covenant and promising that through Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed and a great nation would come of him, and, that, and Abraham's name even meant father, and yet he and, he and his wife Sarah were childless, and Sarah was about 60, he was about 70, they had no children. You can't have a nation in multitudes without a child, you have to start there. And I imagine that once God came to them there in the earth of the Chaldees and said, I will make of you a great nation, now bless all the families of the earth through you, that Abraham and Sarah probably thought, okay, there's a baby coming soon. I mean, we're a little bit old for this already, but this is what God said, and yet it didn't come right away. They waited 25, 30 more years, and, and, and in those years, they tried to at times push God's agenda forward and make something happen, and they got discouraged, and they had times of doubt, and they tried in their own strength, and it backfired, and, 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 but verse 1 reminds us of something very important, and that is that God's plan and timing are always perfect, and, and what God says he will do, it will always happen. The Lord visited Sarah 
as he had said, the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And I love these verses. What a reminder that God's word is always true. He always keeps his promises and he always knows the best timing. Let me encourage you this morning. God's word is true. He always keeps his promises and his timing is always best. I mean, no matter how long it seems like you're waiting and no matter how difficult and desperate the situation gets, God has not forgotten you. And God's promises will take place because God's word is reliable and God's timing is always perfect. And so often we fret and we worry when God delays and he doesn't work how we think that he ought to. And he doesn't work when we think he ought to. But I just want to tell you this, and this isn't the point of the text, but it could be this morning, is that God is never early and God is never late. He's always right on time. And we could spend all day reflecting on that truth, but I really feel like the focus of this text is about the birth of Isaac. Isaac's birth is a picture of what it takes, what takes place when we experience new birth. And you say, well, that sounds like a stretch. I'm not seeing that, except that Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, he said, now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. We, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. And that's Paul writing to Gentiles. He's equating the birth of Isaac to the new birth that takes place in the life of a Christian. And although the first readers of Genesis would have been the children of Israel, and this would have been a help to them to believe God's promises always come true, these were the descendants of Abraham and Isaac, I want to focus this morning on how it applies to us. It's not a stretch. Paul made, it, made the application and, and the connection, and so we're going to as well. Listen, Isaac's birth is a picture of our new birth. And because, listen, if we have received Christ as our Savior... And we have placed our faith in him alone to forgive us of our sins. Then we've been given new life where it once looked impossible. And we should have these new birthmarks. Number one, new birth is supernatural. New birth is supernatural. In verse 2, look what it says. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Verse 5, and Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. You say, well, that sounds impossible. Exactly. It's supposed to. You see, the birth of Isaac was something only God could have done. Abraham was 100, Sarah is 90. Sarah was not just 90 years old, she was also barren in her life, meaning she wasn't able to have children. So she not only was barren, she was well past the time of childbearing, and there should have been no way that they could have a son. This was impossible, but I want to just point out again, that's how God works. He brings us to the end of ourselves. Why? So that it would be clear that this was something only God could have done. This was something that only God could have made happen. It was impossible by human standards. And it reminds me of what the Lord said in response to Sarah in Genesis 18. When she laughed in the tent. You remember that? She laughed in the tent. And the Lord said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Yeah. And as she held that baby, can't you imagine? I mean, I feel like I'm holding a baby. So I'm just going <laughs> to cradle this sling. She's holding the baby. And she's thinking, you know, in her mind, I wonder if that question... Is anything too hard for the Lord if she heard it? And in her mind she said, nope. 
Nothing is too hard for God. There's nothing impossible for him. There's no impossible task as we heard in this song. And, and there's nothing too hard. Listen, in Romans 4, Paul was referring to Abraham when he said, And being not weak in faith, Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Man. They were so unlikely to have a baby that Abraham knew if it happened, it had to be God. And there are some things that only God can do. And I look around the room and, and I know that there are some relationships in here that were once so broken and yet they're sitting together today and you think only God could have done that. There were some lives that were so wrecked by sin at one point and they were so down and out and so broken and saw on, the, on the verge of destruction and you're, they're sitting here today and, and enjoying this time in church and you say only God could have done that. It was impossible otherwise. There are some things that only God can do but I just want to point out this morning the supernatural work of salvation is the greatest impossibility that God can do. There's nothing more incredible that, than God saving a dead, sinful soul and, and raising them from dead to life, death to life. You know, we were in the same condition as Abraham and Sarah in that we were dead in our sin. We had no hope in ourselves. When, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus there in John 3, he, what did he tell him? He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what? It's impossible. And Jesus said, yep. Except I can do all the impossible things. I think about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It says, for by grace are you saved. And it says, by faith. It says, like, it says that not of yourselves. That phrase. It's the gift of God. Titus 3, 5, and 6. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It says, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And, and we, he says, that by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Listen, there is supernatural work that takes place in the new birth. The new birth of salvation it is, is not because of your works of righteousness. It's not by works of righteousness, which you have done. If it was, then you could tell people that you saved yourself. You can explain how it happened. The fact is that it, and, and it is all of God's work and it is only in response to repentance of our sin and faith in Christ and he does all the work in response to that. It is holy and purely supernatural. Your new birth has nothing to do with work that you have done. It is all of God's work in response to our faith. It's not about our good works outweighing our bad works. It's not about our good intentions. It's not about baptism. It is about you, like Abraham and Sarah, coming to the end of yourself and recognizing that only faith in Christ is able to save you from your sin. Listen, our problem is sin, and it's a spiritual problem. And spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. It is through the supernatural cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ that we are saved. Listen, like Sarah's womb, new birth wouldn't be possible if it was up to you. You can't pay your sin debt because you're a sinner. 
Jesus Christ came to this earth and he was not a sinner. And he died in your place and his blood is the only one that could have cleansed us from our sin. In a supernatural way, you simply have to place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And my question to you this morning is, are you trusting in supernatural salvation? And you say, well, I mean, I don't, that just sounds crazy. And it's a, I mean, what a miracle. It'd have to be something, you know, out of this world. Absolutely, it is. And yet a lot of people are trusting in what they've done to make salvation possible. A lot of people are trusting in their works. And they're thinking, you know, if I do enough good works and they outweigh my bad works, then God will see that and he'll be pleased with it. Well, that's not supernatural. Or God will, will see that I have gotten into the baptism, baptism waters and, and you know, and I, I trusted in that. Or, you know, baptism is what I'm trusting in. No, no that's not a supernatural work either. And some people are saying, well, you know, my intentions are good. That's not supernatural. No, listen, a religion isn't, isn't even supernatural enough. No, you need the, the supernatural blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from your sins. It is faith, our faith response to God's grace is the only way to experience supernatural birth. It's it. It's something only God can do. And listen, because it, it's dependent on him, it means it's simple for you. You simply have to believe it. So to the Christian this morning, have you forgotten just how much of a miracle it is that you're saved? I think sometimes, you know, we've been saved long enough that for some, somehow, for some reason, we think, well, we've, we deserve this. But listen, you, if you've been saved, you are a witness to a miracle. I was visiting with somebody just yesterday and they were telling us uh, uh, they have two children and both of their children have had a lot of health issues in their lives and and uh, they were telling us about all, all, all these things that had happened to their children and then both of their children. They said they're walking miracles. They were at the summer Bible rally and just visiting with people. And, and they were saying they were walking miracles. I mean, this, this one shouldn't be alive. I mean, I mean, all of these things had happened in his life and it was incredible, miraculous. But it reminds me of the fact that there's really no greater miracle than the fact that you and I are walking around saved. You, if you have received Christ as your Savior and he has supernaturally saved you, you are a walking miracle. There's no way it could have happened in your own strength. There's no way you could have done anything about it. You are a miracle this morning. And sometimes I think that, that we get used to that. We get used to the idea that we've been saved. And you know, people think, they say there's no such thing as the supernatural. Well, the only people that say that are the ones that haven't been saved. Because that God could save you from your sin is a supernatural miracle. May we never lose sight of the fact that we have been supernaturally saved by the grace of God. And listen, if you've never been saved in that way, and you say, well, I've done works and I've been, done this and that. But I've never done it like that. This morning at the end of this service, we're going to have what we call an invitation. And I'm telling you that, that you can walk this aisle and by just simply believing what somebody shows you from Scripture, you can be supernaturally saved this morning. Miracles do happen. God does the impossible. And he'll do it in your life. But one mark of a new birth is, is it's supernatural. The second mark I want to look at this morning is that new birth is marked by surrender. Look at verse 4. It says, And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. See, this is Abraham submitted to God's commandment of circumcision. 
And let me just remind you, circumcision is the sign of God's covenant with Israel. And that literal putting away of the flesh was a reminder that they belonged to God. And they were committed to God alone. And I just want to point out that Abraham obeyed exactly how he was supposed to. God had said on the eighth day, and it's interesting, you know, this is just more insight into how God knows everything. But, but God knew that after a child is born, it, it takes about that long for the blood to be able to coagulate and for that, um, that procedure to be done. And so on the eighth day, on the exact day that God said, I want you to circumcise your son, that Abraham did it just like God had commanded him. And I'm telling you, it is a mark of new birth that a person is willing to surrender their life and obey whatever it is that God has them do. And this is, a pure, a, a, this is just purely a, a sign that, that, a, that new birth has taken place because God has, ha, God has commanded Abraham and Abraham obeyed. And I'm telling you, new birth requires surrender. And because a lot of people, they receive Christ supernaturally, then after that takes place, they don't want to do anything else he asks them to do. No, listen, after you receive new life in Christ, the only natural response is to surrender your life to God. He's the reason you have new life. And yet I know Christians who've gladly received new life, um, but, but they refuse to surrender their lives back to God. You know, and that the, they have new life from God, but they won't give it back to God. And there are, we all have these things. We all have pockets of areas that we haven't surrendered to God. We all have certain areas of struggle that we don't want to give back to God. But it really reminds me of a message I preached the last few weeks and called Benefits Without Demands. And that we live in a culture and everybody wants the benefits of living in our culture, but they don't want to submit to the demands of living in our culture. They want to receive but not really give back. And that happens in workplaces. Maybe you work with some people like that. It happens in our country, of course. It can happen in churches where people come and they say, oh, I just want the benefits of coming from coming to church, but I don't necessarily want to submit to the demands or responsibilities that are required of me at a local church. Listen, it's not the way it should work. If you've received new life in Christ, the only natural response would be that you surrender your life back to him. A new mark, a mark of new birth is surrender. And you, why is it a struggle? Well, like circumcision, it's not easy. Sometimes, you know, it's painful to follow God. Sometimes, I mean, it may require, not sometimes, a lot. It may require you to give up something you'd rather hold on to. Anybody that's been saved at a later age, you've gone through this. And you know how hard it is to give up things that you used to have. You might, if, you're, if you have new birth, you may have to be willing to let go of a relationship. Some friend that you've got. If you have new birth, you may have to say goodbye to some ha hobby or some habit that's in your life. If you've had new birth, you may have to release something that you enjoy doing. And surrender is hard because telling ourselves no is hard. But listen, no to myself means I get to enjoy what God has to offer, which is always better than what I'm asked to give up. And I was talking with somebody this week, and I've got a good friend, and I went to college with him, Bible college, and I was talking to his folks this week. And, you know, he had all the potential in the world. He's a pastor's kid. He was raised right. Had every resource that he could have uh, asked for to do something for God. Personality-wise and intelligence. And got married. Had two awesome kids. Had a great wife. Good life. 
but he always struggled with worldly longings. And he always wanted something more that he didn't have. The things that were always kind of on the edge. And a few years ago, he walked away from that beautiful Christian wife and those two beautiful kids in a good church home and the legacy he'd received from his own parents to go pursue something else. And at this point, he's on his fourth or fifth new different girlfriend. You know what he's figuring out is that he can always try to seek satisfaction apart from Christ, but he'll never find it. You know, and if you, are, if you live a life refusing to surrender to the one that gave you new life, you'll always seek satisfaction, and you'll, but you'll never find it. I mean, following God is never on our terms, but we can have confidence it's always for our best. And we may not see the benefits of surrender, but God has a plan that we don't see. Listen, it's only natural. I mean, you read Romans 12, 1 and 2. It is reasonable service. That we would surrender our lives as a living sacrifice to God. It's the only natural response to somebody who's given you life. It'd be like somebody saving your life off the street. And after they save your life, you don't even say thank you. No, God has given you life. Jesus Christ died in your place to give you life. The most reasonable thing that you can do, your reasonable service is to surrender your life back to him. Listen, surrender of the old life is evidence of legitimate new life. And it's doubtful, and I'm going to say this strongly because I believe it, but it's doubtful that legitimate new birth took place if surrender never takes place. And it's not my job to say if someone is saved or someone's not. But, but we are told to look at evidence and we are told to look at fruit. And I'm just telling you this morning, if you've never come to the place where you've surrendered your life to God, then I, it, it's right, it may be right for somebody like me or somebody in your life to look at your life and say, I wonder if there's ever been new birth in the first place. Because somebody who's truly received new birth wouldn't think of anything else except surrender. Because you realize just what a supernatural gift you've been given. Birthmarks of a new birth, it really starts because it's supernatural. But second, it's marked by surrender. And third, and I don't always alliterate, um, I'm not good at it, but when it's natural, I'll do it. But the third one, the third mark of a new birth is this, it's satisfying. It starts because it's supernatural and it's marked by surrender. But listen, the satisfaction you get in the life of a new birth, you'll never find anywhere else. Look at verse 3. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. Remember what Isaac means? It means laughter. Look down at verse 7. And she said, who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. No, verse 6. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. Sarah laughed again. But listen, when Abraham and Sarah laughed before, a few chapters before, when God would come and say, listen, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham kind of laughed. There was, a, there was a little element there, um, a, an air of doubt. 
Or maybe disbelief on some level when Sarah laughed inside that tent when the, when the Lord said, you're going to have a child and, and Sarah laughed. There was, there was definitely an element of doubt there. And that's why God, as a matter of rebuke, told Abraham, you're going to call his name Isaac because it means laughter. And I want you to remember every time that you say his name, I want you to remember that at times in your life, you didn't believe that I could do the impossible. You had your doubts. And I just want to remind you of it. Isaac means laughter. And now listen, now Sarah has learned her lesson. And Sarah is holding this baby and she's laughing for a different reason. She's laughing now because she's holding a baby. There's no more doubt. It's not about unbelief. It's not because she doesn't think God can do the impossible. It's because she's holding a baby. And all she can do is smile. Listen, there are a few things as satisfying as holding that baby. And I would spend hours just staring at my children when they were little. There's a sense of satisfaction. Because that which you've waited for so long is laying in your arms. So imagine then what it felt like for these two. You know, that when's the last time you just stopped and thanked God for supernatural work in your life and just enjoyed it? You know, when's the last time you just sat back and thought, wow, he's forgiven my sins? The last time that you sat back and you thought, wow, I have a home in heaven when you start to get a sense of all that God has done for you, I'm telling you, you can't hardly do anything but laugh. But the idea is satisfaction. You think, I don't need anything else. And I know that life is full of trouble. And it, it, but if you've been supernaturally saved, listen, you can go to bed tonight. You can lay your head on the pillow knowing your sin is forgiven. And heaven is your home. And too many Christians focus on the struggles and they forget the most important thing is settled. And it's okay to just enjoy what God has done for you. When you submit to God's supernatural work, you'll discover God's supernatural satisfaction. When you submit to God's supernatural work, you will discover God's supernatural satisfaction when we let God do what only God can do. We get to enjoy what only God can provide. And that is a sense of satisfaction. Satisfaction of surrender to God's supernatural work. And when we trust the Lord to do what he says, when the time is right, there's no more satisfying experience. I'm telling you. There's nothing that will satisfy the hunger of your soul apart from Jesus Christ. If your biggest problem is sin, the only satisfaction you'll ever have is through Jesus Christ. He's the only one that ever came to deal with sin. One man said that soul's deepest thirst is for God himself, who has made us so that we can never be satisfied without him. Listen, the reason that so many are left unsatisfied is because they're seeking to satisfy themselves with something natural. They're seeking to satisfy themselves with something visible, something of this world, something of their own making, or maybe another person, or maybe money that they can make, or stuff that they can accumulate, a house that they can purchase, a job they can move up in. And yet none of those things were created to, to do for us what Jesus Christ only can do for us. John Piper, and I don't agree with his, all of his theology, but he said this, nothing makes God more supreme and more central than when, a, than when a people are utterly persuaded 
that nothing, not money or prestige or leisure or family or job or health or sports or toys or friends, nothing is going to bring satisfaction to their aching hearts besides God. This conviction breeds a people who passionately long for God on Sunday morning. They're not confused about why they are here. They, don't, they do not see songs and prayers and sermons as mere traditions or mere duties. They see them as means of getting to God or God getting to them for more of his fullness. I can't say it any better than that. If you've come this morning seeking to be satisfied, you have come to the right place. And not because we have all the answers, but because I stand before you this morning and I tell you the answer to your emptiness is the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never find it anywhere else outside of him. And I'm just asking you this morning, will you finally surrender to him today? He's the only one who can do the supernatural work to fix your broken life. Proverbs, or Psalm 22 says, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Isaiah 55 says, Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. I can't say it any better than that. But listen, the world is going to convince you that what they have to offer will satisfy what you need. But it never will. You'll never find it in money. You'll never find it in a bigger house. You'll never find it in a new relationship. You'll never find it in more stuff. You'll never find satisfaction in a new job, climbing the corporate ladder, having a better retirement account. It will never happen in any of those things. They are incapable of solving your biggest problem, which is sin. Yet Jesus Christ came De deliberately for the purpose of saving you from your sin. He's the only one you'll ever find satisfaction in. Amen. You've been looking for it in every place except the one place you'll find it and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. If you ever held a baby, you find yourself saying that was worth the wait. Abraham and discovered it 30 years later, and they, but they're not the only ones. Remember, that birth of Isaac is a picture of our new birth. And there are people all over this room that have found that out too. If you let God do the impossible, the supernatural, and you surrender to it, it satisfies you like nothing else will. Some experienced new birth when they were young. I was nine years old. I, was, I received Christ as my Savior and I experienced new birth. We got people in this room, all over the room, that were, that were saved as young children. And you know what they'll tell you? Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. We got some in this room that were saved older. They were saved later in life. And, and they, they went through life and they tried other things. And they got saved later. And I mean, we've got people shaking their heads saying, yes, I'm one of those. And you know what they'll tell you? Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. We've got some that were saved early in life 
And when they got a little older, they tried to find satisfaction in other places. And they went here and they went there. Or they tried substance and they tried a people and they tried jobs and money and career and success. They tried it all. But they came right back to where they, what they got when they were a child. Because you know what they realized? Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. There's no place to be satisfied outside of Christ. Surrendering to his supernatural work is the only source of satisfaction. Nothing satisfies like Jesus. You know what I've discovered? The only people who say Jesus doesn't satisfy are the ones who've never experienced his supernatural work. I read a story one time about an interviewer years ago. He was interviewing a a, a guide that would take people up to the top of Mount Everest. And the interviewer asked him, he said, why do you risk your life to climb mountains? And the guide said, well, it's obvious. You asked that question because it's obvious that you've never been to the top. Meaning, once you've been to the top, you know why you climbed the mountain. And once you've discovered Jesus Christ and the satisfaction that only he can provide, you've been to the top. And you know there's nothing else like it. And the world out there says, why do you follow Christ? Why do you surrender to your life to him? And why, I mean, why are you doing these things? And why are you, you know, telling yourself no? And why are you surrendering? And why are you committing? And why are you giving up your Sundays? And, and why do you give 10% plus even more of your money to the offerings at church? And why do you serve at a summer Bible rally and you give up a whole Saturday out in the sun? And I mean, why are you serving with children? And why are you taking a bus route? And why are you doing all these things? And you know what you could say to them? is You could say the only reason you're asking those questions is because you've never been to the top. You've never had a relationship with Christ to such a degree that satisfaction is so clear and so obvious and you can't trade for it. It's priceless. Listen, we, we've got a, a world full of people that need to know only Jesus satisfies. And they'll never probably, they probably won't really see it or hear it unless we have people in rooms like this all over the world that really believe it, practice it. If you've, if you've experienced the satisfaction of surrender to Christ, you know how much it matters. You know how big of a deal it is. So why are there some things in your life you haven't surrendered? Because you would say, yeah, only Jesus satisfies my soul. Then why are you holding on to some things this morning that's keeping you from that sense of satisfaction? What I've learned is you can have everything else, but if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. But I've also learned you could have nothing. But if you have Christ, you have all you ever need. I'm asking you this morning, do you have new birthmarks? I mean, are you trusting in supernatural salvation? Or, or don't pack it in too soon. Listen, um, this is the point of decision for somebody. Do you have supernatural salvation? 
In other words, have you trusted in something that only God could have done? It's not about your works. It's not about a moment of baptism. It's not about your good intentions. It's not about religion. It is about a moment in your life, a point in time that you can look back to and say that I received Jesus Christ's supernatural payment for my sins at that point in my life. Are you trusting in that kind of a supernatural salvation? If you're not, listen to this morning, it could be the day. You can place your faith in the supernatural work of Christ. But have you surrendered, though, to the child of God? Have you surrendered every part of your life? Is there something you're holding on to? I mean, the one that gave you new life, he only, I mean, it's obvious, reasonable that he deserves to have his life, your life surrendered to him, and yet you're holding on to something. But is there something you've refused him? Is there something in your life you're refusing to surrender and yet he's the one that gave you supernatural life? How silly of us to hold on to things or keep things back from the one who gave us life in the first place. And all you can focus on is what is asked of you. And I I mean, I don't want to give up a whole Sunday or I don't want to give up this or that or I don't want to wake up too early and do this or that. No, if all you can do is focus on what's asked of you, you've forgotten all that you've received. The only rational response to God's mercy is surrender. And maybe you're focusing on what you've had to lose or how hard it's been or the difficulties or how demanding it is. And you've forgotten that through all of it, though, that through the supernatural work of Jesus Christ, you have eternal life with God. You've been forgiven of your sins. You have an eternal home in heaven. And listen, what more could you ask for? How satisfied are you? Do you have satisfaction? Are you, are you really content? Are you content in Christ or have you tried to seek satisfaction elsewhere? Listen, I'm telling you, you'll never find it. It's only at the top. The only satisfaction is in complete surrender to the supernatural work of Christ. Do you want to know what it's like at the top? Anybody can get there. It's not an exclusive club. All it takes is a willingness to submit to God's supernatural work in our lives and surrender everything to him and then find the satisfaction that only comes with him. And it's available to you this morning. Listen, I, most, many in this room have been to the top. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, not because we're special, not because of any reason except that we've recognized that without God's supernatural work, we'd be totally lost. And second, if we, he's given us new life, he deserves all my surrender. I'm telling you, the result of those two things is satisfaction. And if you want satisfaction this morning, will you let him do supernatural work and will you surrender to it this morning? That's all. It takes humility and a willingness to come to the end of yourself. We, we heard this song this morning from the ladies. It's like, I too have stood in the darkness, not wanting to walk one more mile, my mind filled with unanswered questions, hiding tears behind every smile. But then I drew strength from those pilgrims, the ones who were the first to believe. When their faith reached out to touch him, his arms reached back to help them. And he's able to do the same for you and me. Just ask the woman at the well, the thief on the cross, 
the lame man who's walking, the dumb tell it all. I mean, these were impossible situations. Just ask the beggars and the lepers who've been touched by his hand. Can he handle an impossible task? Well, ask Abraham and Sarah. They'll know the answer. Just ask. When you've come in and you feel like it's impossible and God can't reach you, but I'm telling you, if he can, he can make a, a womb that's been dead for, for her whole life produce a child, then he can do something impossible for you this morning. Amen. You think, I'm too far broken. So was Abraham and Sarah. I'm too far gone. Well, so were the beggars and the lepers. And he wants to do something impossible in your life. You simply have to submit to his supernatural work. And you'll be satisfied. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.